Open up, if you would, please, this morning to Ephesians 5. It's where we were last week. We're uh, doing a series uh, on relationships this month, and Ephesians 5 is a good jumping-off place for that. We'll go into a little bit. I went into a little bit of detail about that last week. We'll go into some more detail about it again next week. Um, but this week is part two of our marriage discussion. We're going to talk a little bit more about marriage today. And last week I spent almost the entire time kind of giving you the, the theology of it. And so this week we're going to spend a lot of time giving you the application of it and trying to better understand a little bit of what we talked about last week. Here's what we have on tap today. Here's our theology application and prayer. Uh, our theology is our marriages illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. Our marriages illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the theology. Our application is this. Embrace the opportunity to have your marriage proclaim Jesus. Embrace the opportunity to have your marriage proclaim Jesus. And then our prayer today is, God, let our marriages rightly tell the redemption story. As I said last week, as we kind of covered the theology of it, uh, the old, in the Old Testament, God uses uh, marriage to illustrate his relationship with Israel. And in the New Testament, God uses marriage to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. If you are a person, so understand that when we talk about the church here, we're not talking about this building, although we are incredibly thankful for this building and this space. What we're talking about, when the Bible talks about the church, it's talking about the people, those who have put faith in Jesus, those who are people of faith. And so in the New Testament, the Bible talks about Jesus being the, the groom, the husband to the church, that he nurtures the church, that he loves the church, that he cares for the church. And so marriage in the scripture is a picture of who Jesus is. And we don't get a choice in whether or not that's what marriage is. The only choice we have is whether or not we represent that well. And so your marriage as people of faith, if, if you're a believer and your spouse is a believer, your marriage is telling the story of Jesus. It's either telling the truth about Jesus or it's misrepresenting Jesus. But the purpose of marriage, if you go all the way back to Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God made man and woman, husband and wife, for the purpose of imaging him, for the purpose of making his, his image known in the earth, and that is still true today. I want to do something a little bit different than I did with the first service. I wish I'd done it this way with the first service. Uh, but in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, it's the, the longest New Testament text about marriage. It's the longest New Testament text about marriage, and it is only 12 verses long. But if you'll notice, I, I want to start in verse 32, and I touched on this very briefly last week. But if you notice verse 32, it says, this mystery of marriage, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, we're going to read through this text now, but I'm going to emphasize specifically how it's talking about Christ and the church because typically when Ephesians 5 is read, it's read in wedding ceremonies, and it's, the emphasis is usually laid on the husband and wife dynamic. But Paul tells us at the end of this that what he really means for us to understand is how Christ and the church relate to each other. Okay, does that make uh, a, a little bit of sense, like the, the aim is that uh, we are trying to talk about th that in terms of relationships, what matters more than my relationship to my wife, Michelle, what matters more than that is how much Jesus loves his people. That, that relationship takes priority, okay? And my relationship to Michelle, while significant to me, is really supposed to convey how much Jesus loves his people, 
That's the purpose of earthly marriage. With that in mind, let's, let's read this text. And I'm going to begin in verse 21. And when he says here, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, what Paul means is we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus, should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. One way that we can do that is in our marriages. And we'll talk more about that in the next two weeks. We'll come back to verse 21 in Ephesians 5 and unpack it in a little bit more detail. But he is encouraging believers to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, so wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of wife. Listen to the Christ church language. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his, that is Christ's body, and is himself Christ, its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, Christ, would sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he would present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and without blame. So this is the kind of care that Christ has for the church and as an example of that kind of care, this is the kind of care a husband should have for his wife so that we can, as husbands, reflect Christ's love of the church. Continue with me uh, in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. We are members of Christ's body. We've been joined to Christ. And then he's going to quote here a marriage text. He's going to quote Genesis 2.24, and he's going to say, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I want you to notice something coming straight out of verse 29, um, that we are members of Christ. We are partakers of Christ. We are joined to Christ as Christians. And then the next thing he does is quote Genesis 2.24, just like a husband or just like a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they'll become one. He's saying that you people of faith, you are one with Christ. If you have put faith in Jesus, you are joined to Jesus. You are connected to him. Uh, his righteousness now becomes our righteousness and, and his holiness and his sanctification and his glory becomes ours. And we are viewed by God now as being partners with Christ, being joined with Christ. Romans uh, 6 talks about that in some depth, and it says that if you have died with Christ, if you've put your face in Christ and you have died with Christ, you've been raised up with Christ. If you have shared in Christ's death, you've also shared in his resurrection. If you've shared in his death, you've also shared in his righteousness. And so as believers, we are partakers of Christ. And so the the unity that a husband and wife have, the, the language in Genesis 2.24 that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh, that language has an intent and the intent is that the husband and wife joined together would be a reflection of how we as people of faith have been joined to Christ. So our marriages are these beautiful, intended to be beautiful, illustrations and representations and neon signs that point to the beauty of Christ and his unity with the church. Does that make a little bit of sense? So what we tend to do in marriage, um, what we tend to do in marriage is we tend to highlight our preferences uh, the things that we like, the things that we enjoy, the things that are mo most important to us. In fact, 
the, our theology today was our marriages illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church. We, we covered that for 30 minutes last week. Go back and listen to last week's message and then recap it really quickly here. Here's our application, and this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. Embrace the opportunity to have your marriage proclaim Jesus. You have this wonderful opportunity if you're married or about to be married or if uh, you, know, you want to be married one day or whatever. You have this beautiful opportunity to have your marriage correctly proclaim Jesus. But what we tend to do is we tend to tell the future husband and wife, we tend to say, look, you're going to have arguments, you're going to fight. Uh, I can't tell you how many pastors I've heard say something along this lines to their to the people they're counseling, and they say, have a comfortable couch because, you know, one of you is going to end up spending the night on it more than once. And, and people make light of marriage, and they make light of the marriage relationship. It's totally messed up. And, uh, and, and what, we, what we tend to do is we paint marriage as this picture of two imperfect people coming together just doing the best they can. And what I would like to do is, in our estimation, elevate marriage to the Bible's position of marriage, that marriage is intended to tell the story of Jesus and his deep love for the church. That's what marriage is intended to do. Uh, this was, uh, I don't think I ruined anybody's day last week. They didn't come and tell me that. Maybe they just didn't come back today. But in, in heaven, you, you don't get to be married. You're not still married to this person. Um, uh, the, the Bible teaches in Matthew, and I got to look this up because I keep forgetting to, but it's Matthew, I want to say 23. It might be chapter 22, but 22 feels wrong now. But in Matthew, Jesus is confronted about marriage and the resurrection. And when posed the question, we won't go through the whole story now, but when he's posed the question, Jesus' response is, in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, you are neither married nor given in marriage, but you are likened unto angels. And like I told the first service, please don't confuse that to say we become angels um, it would be really awesome if we could quit saying of our loved ones who have died, we have God got another angel. Uh, biblically speaking, we are higher than the angels. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we will judge the angels. We are not angels. We are, we are, angels don't get to be redeemed. We're redeemed. We, get to be, we were adopted and loved, and Jesus died for us. Jesus didn't die for the angels. We are better than the angels and higher than the angels. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that angels are servants of those of us who inherit salvation. So, so anyway... The, the, the Bible says that we, we aren't married in heaven. Uh, so marriage is temporary, and it's ended either by one of the two people involved. It's ended by their death, or it's ended by the return of Christ. But it's coming to an end. So if Christ returns right now, Michelle and I, who have been married 13 and a half years, our marriage is done. It's not like I'm looking over there and going, oh, that was Michelle, my wife on earth. It's, we are worshipers of God. We are souls before God. I have no idea what that's going to look like. But I know that the marriage relationship comes to an end. It's because marriage is a picture of something bigger. It's a picture of Christ and his people. That's the thing that will go on forever. The analogy, and the analogy always falls away. The substance of the thing always endures. And marriage is the analogy. Marriage is the story. Mar marriage is the illustration. Marriage is, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, what has happened is most of the time Christian marriages misrepresent Jesus' deep love. Don't they? Um, I've been in church my whole life. I've been around church and pastoring for 25 years. And the 
the number of men who sit around and complain, Christian men who sit around and complain about, about their wife, the number of Christian women who sit around and complain about their husband is just astronomical. It's just ridiculous and stupid. But I want you to think about it for a minute when you are somewhere complaining about your wife or complaining about your husband, that instead of poorly representing your wife or your husband in that moment, what you're actually doing is poorly representing Jesus. What you're actually doing as a husband when you speak poorly of your wife is saying, I'm fed up with her, I'm frustrated with her. It's what you were, because what you really are is you're an analogy. And in the analogy, you're representing Jesus. What you're really saying is that Jesus gets bored with us that Jesus gets frustrated with us, that Jesus gets tired of us. We are representing Jesus poorly. And when a wife is around complaining about her husband because the wife in the picture represents the church, the glorious, beautiful church, what you're really saying is the church gets fed up with God. And while it's detrimental to your marriage to speak poor of your spouse, it's more detrimental to the story of Jesus because your marriage is telling that story. Please tell me that you're tracking with that a little bit. Okay? Our marriages are higher than us. Listen, I met Michelle. She, she messaged me April 30th, 2006 um, on MySpace. That's how I met my wife, on MySpace. I messaged her back assuming she was, I had just finished preaching at a retreat. I just assumed she was some, there was like 400 people at the retreat. I just assumed it was somebody I had just met at the retreat. Um, another message made me realize that that wasn't the case. I thought, man, this girl, this teacher in San Angelo is cute. I don't know her. I should find out who she is. We messaged back and forth for a week. I said, look, come and hear me preach this Sunday. I'm preaching in town. I was actually preaching in Merchison. I said, but I'm preaching just outside of town. Come and hear me preach this week. I'll take you to lunch afterwards. And if anything's there, great. And if not, we'll just say goodbye because I have enough friends. And she goes, wow, you're very direct. I said, look, I'm 31. I'm, I'm mostly content in my life. Um, there are days that I really wanted to be married. And sometimes, like moment by moment, that would increase. Uh, but I was like... I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And so she came and heard me preach. Micah was leading worship that day. Um, and I met her and I called her afterwards because she and her sister went home early and we did our thing. And I called her afterwards and I said, so can I take you to lunch? And she said, no. And I said, okay, well, that was, it was nice meeting you today. Thanks for coming. She goes, that's it. I was like, I told you if one of us didn't feel it, you know, like I'm busy. And she goes, where do you want to take me? And I said, that's not how it works. You want to eat with me or you don't, you know? And she goes, all right, come and get me. And, uh, and, and we had a, an 11-hour date. And, uh, and our next date was the next day, and our next date was the next day, and our next date was the next day. And two weeks later, we were looking at rings. And two weeks after that, I had bought the ring. And we've had a blast ever since. It's just been so much fun. So please don't misunderstand me when I... When I say this, I deeply, deeply love Michelle, but my love for Michelle is shallow compared to Christ's love for Michelle. And the goal of my marriage to Michelle isn't to show her how much I can love her, but to represent to her how deeply she's loved by Jesus. 
And the mistake we make in our marriages is we go in trying to be better lovers of our spouse or more patient with our spouse or more kind to our spouse rather than going into our marriages with the mindset of Jesus loves you and I want to represent Jesus's love to you. You are forgiven by Jesus. I want to represent that forgiveness to you. You are uncondemned by Jesus. I want to represent that you are uncondemned. Right? Isn't that better? Isn't that richer? And so what happens is disagreements. Let's talk practically for a moment. So take every opportunity to have your marriage rightly proclaim Jesus. But why do we have disagreements? Hardly ever are marriages divided over issues of faith. Sometimes that's the case where there's a a Christian spouse and a non-Christian spouse, but for the sake of argument today, I'm talking about two believers together. You seldom have one believer going, well, I believe Jesus died, and then the other person going, well, I don't think he did, because that person wouldn't, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're at least on the same page that Jesus died, that he was raised from the dead, that he saves you, right? And, and so you might disagree about your favorite kind of music, right? But disagreements are seldom about our issues of faith and usually about who left their laundry on the floor. It's always going to be me. It just is. Like, I, I'm a, I'm a two-a-day shower guy. I like to shower twice a day and on rare occasions three times. Um, I just like to be clean, you know? I I don't understand you people who get into bed dirty. I don't know what is wrong with you. Um, it, 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 could, it could be trauma from when I was a kid. My, uh, Yeah, I won't get into that story. If you want to know that story, ask me Wednesday because let's not have that recorded. Um, but, uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I, part of it was I was a swimmer in high school. We swam, we were in the water at 6.30 in the morning uh, and swam 6.30 to 8.00. And then we swam 4.30 to 6 in the afternoon. And so I would shower right after swimming both times because you'd get the chlorine off of you. So that was part of just habit, you know. Um, But what that means is, if you can imagine, if you're showering in the morning and you're showering at night and you fold your towel and you hang out on the rack, it's damp on the inside. And I don't know if you, who wants to dry off with a damp towel, right? So I either take up the entire towel rack or open the shower curtain and hang it over the rod. But my wife likes the nice, clean look of the shower. You know what I mean? So, like, we've had to figure it out. But I want you to think about this for a moment. If our marriage is being compromised because of my twice-a-day showering and where I hang my towel, then our marriage is fragile and petty, isn't it? But isn't it those kinds of things that you just kind of go, well, I'll ignore it this time. Well, I'll ignore it this time. But after 400 times of ignoring the towel, you're just like, oh, my goodness, right? And so... Usually when people come to Michelle and I for counseling, usually it's not adultery. Sometimes it is. Usually it's things like the towel or the late snack after all the dishes have been done where the dish just gets put in the sink instead of put in the dishwasher. It's those kinds of things. It's the little things. And here's what I want to ask you. It's, a, it's meant to be a rhetorical question, but I invite you to respond, Okay. Is the cross of Jesus undone because a towel is hung over a shower rod? Then should it undo our marriage? Right? 
Is the cross of Jesus, is the grace of Jesus compromised because the dish was put in the sink instead of the dishwasher? Is it? Is the grace of Jesus compromised? No. Then it shouldn't compromise our marriage. Marriages are undone over petty things, which is why Solomon says in Song of Solomon, catch for us the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. It is these petty little things, these, these preferences, these, these uh, disagreements over petty issues that divide us, and they do not divide us with Christ. And so if we are representing Christ to our, our spouses rather than self to our spouses, because it does not divide our spouse from Christ, it cannot divide our spouse from us. Right? Because you, honestly, at the end of the day, so every couple that comes to Michelle and I for marriage counseling or whatever, whatever, I mean, like sometimes it's just minor things, sometimes it's bigger things. Every couple that comes to us, I tell them this very plainly right out of the gate. My aim for you isn't that you guys would get along better. That's not my aim. It never will be. My aim for you as a couple is to proclaim Jesus rightly. And my belief completely convinced of it. Good luck changing my mind. My belief is that if you as a couple would make it your aim to proclaim Jesus, then one of the results of that will, will be that you guys get along better. You guys will enjoy each other more, right? Because your aim now is Jesus. And trust me, your love for your spouse is a cruddy substitute for God's love for them. It is. Even if it's a really good human love, even if it's way better than your dad loved your mom. Like, but that's what we do, right? We go, I love my wife better than my dad loved my mom. And we think that we're doing well. Instead of saying, my goodness, God loves you more than I could ever love you. My aim is just to show you God's love. My aim is to give you the love that God has for you, to give you the forgiveness that God has for you, to give you the grace that God has for you. That's my aim. And marriages fail when that's not our aim. That's why marriages fail. So here we are. This isn't about Ephesians 5. This isn't about a husband treating a wife well or a wife treating a husband well. This is really about Jesus. This is really a proclamation to the world of who Christ is. That's what's at stake in your marriage. Not who's going to get the friends and who's going to get the house and how much money does this person or that person get and when do I get visitation. What's at stake in your marriage is Jesus. That's bigger than you guys. And so whatever failures you've had in your marriage or whatever failures you've had in previous marriages, wherever you are today, today you say, we're going to make this about Jesus. It has to be. It has to be because you doing a really good job compared to other really cruddy human beings is still really cheating your spouse. It's selling them short. There's something richer. So let's talk a little bit uh, about grudges, um, keeping records of wrong. First of all, 1 Corinthians 13 says love keeps no record of wrong. And I would like to remind you that if you are a person of faith that God isn't keeping records of your wrong. You know that, right? Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are uncondemned. That means if you blew it yesterday, if you dishonored Jesus yesterday, you are still, by faith, before God, uncondemned and forgiven today. Right? Isn't that beautiful? 
Isn't that amazing that the grace of God is so abundant and so lavish that my stupidity yesterday is washed away today? Isn't that fantastic? And yet, what do we do in marriages? Look, I haven't said anything about this. But last year, that's what we do, right? <laughs> or, or, okay, we're done. I forgive you. You've forgiven me. We're great. But a year from now, do you remember last year when you did this exact same thing? I thought I was forgiven. You were, but now it's, I'm bringing it up again because you did it. Like, oh my goodness, we, we tear at one another because, we, because what's most important to us, and hear this as a condemnation, What's most important to us is our preferences and our comfort and not Jesus. And because our preferences and our comfort are more important, we wreck our marriages because we hold the grudge. I, I, I want you to know something. And I, I hesitate to say this, but I've kind of gone back and forth in my head over it, and I'm just going to do it. Um, and you can talk to me about it later or rebuke me if you feel I need it. Um, my dad was not a good man. Uh, he died in November. My dad was not a good guy. He just wasn't. Uh, he slept with whoever he wanted to sleep with, drank himself stupid a lot of times, um, was violent sometimes, but was always on the verge of violence to the point that when I was home for college, I slept with a loaded pistol under my pillow. Um, and, uh, and just, it was, it was never good. Um, it was never good. When it was good, it was just because we were all pretending it was good that day, you know? And there hadn't been a crazy kind of thing. And by the time that I went to college, uh, 18 years old, um, my, my dad was in the habit of leaving us regularly. He, he would disappear for six weeks or eight weeks at a time and, and then show up whenever he wanted to. And he came back in time to take me to college. Um, and... It was just, it was just a mess. Uh, I won't go into a lot more detail than that. It was just a mess. And about two or three years into my college life, one of the things dawned on me, and here's the, here's the thing that dawned on me. I, I, came, I came to the place where I was convinced by a couple of things that my dad wasn't a believer, that he didn't really have faith in Jesus. And I had a choice to make. I could continue to be hurt and angry at my dad for the things that he had done and say, I want him to apologize to me. I want him to come and make it right. Or I could have the concern for him that Christ had for him. And that was, I want my dad to know Jesus. And until my dad died this past November, my aim for my dad was that he would know Jesus. And I went back to him. I was 20, 21. I went back to him and I said, dad, you're, you're loved. You're forgiven. Uh, I, I, I love you. I just want you to know Jesus. And that made some other people in my family very mad um, because of the hurt he had caused us that I was willing to just, but, but I, I, I came to the place, I had some really godly friends and I had a really godly pastor who was proclaiming to me Jesus and grace. And I thought I, I can either approach my dad as a wounded son or I can approach my dad as a representative of Jesus who wants to know my dad, right? Does that make sense? You, you with me? Like, and it, it changed my relationship with him. I was sharing Christ with him until uh, just a few weeks before he died. My dad would continue to tell me, I know all about Jesus. I know he died. And he would continue to say, I just don't care to be different. I don't want to be different, which 
doesn't jive with scripture, which is why I kept sharing Christ with them. I'm using that example um, for two reasons. One, Michelle, if you've ever met my wife, Michelle is the sweetest, most gracious person you will ever meet, and she overlooks all of my stupidities. And so we don't have the kind of conflict that I had with my father, for example. But I'm using it as an example because if your marriage has conflict, you have a decision to make. You can say, it is important to me that you change and that you fix this, Or you can say, it's important to me that I view you the way Christ views you. But you don't get to do both. I could either be concerned about my dad's salvation or I could be concerned that he'd be a better father to me. But I don't get to do both. Right? And it changed the shape of our relationship because my concern for my dad was, Dad, I want you to know Jesus. Dad, I want you to know Jesus. Dad, I want you to know Jesus. And your concern for your spouse can be that they treat you like you expect to be treated, or your concern for your spouse can be this is a person who has named the name of Jesus, who is loved by God, who is uncondemned, who is completely forgiven, who is awash in the grace of God like I am, and you can say, and therefore they are deserving of the grace of God just as much as I am, or as little as I am, or whatever you want to say, but like the grace of God is abundant. So marriage can be about our preferences or it can be about eternity. It can be about Christ, but it can't be both. The the human heart's going to have preferences. Michelle and I wildly disagree on music. All of hers is dumb. Um, uh, She, yeah, she she likes the 90s hip-hop stuff. For me, it's 80s all the way, you know, and Micah hates the 80s, he'll tell you so. Uh, he, he will say that there are some good songs from the 80s, but he, he doesn't like the 80s. He likes the 90s better, right? Um, but that's because he's young, uh, and he hasn't, he hasn't matured enough yet to know that really the ballads of the 80s were where it was really at. Um, but anyway, Michelle and I have very different taste in, in, uh, in music. Uh, we have some overlap in TV, but, but there are definitely some shows that she watches that I give her a hard time about, and I'm like, it's... It's, it's just cheesy. And she's like, it's so, it's so good, though. And I'm like, yeah, but it's so bad. You know, like, it's just bad. Like, and, and, and so, like, we have preferences, but those, those things are nothing. Those things are nothing compared to Christ. When, when Michelle and I met, uh, I, I won't forget the day. Uh, it was June 2nd, 2006. That wasn't the day we met. But um, when we met, we started off with the idea that this is going to be about Jesus. And on June 2nd, I was returning from a fishing trip with some buddies of mine, college friends of mine, and I passed through Oklahoma City, stopped at a diamond wholesaler there. It was super cool. Uh, went up to this third floor, went to a big door, knocked on the door. The guy does a little thing like that. It felt very like gangster. Maybe was. Uh, he brings me in, locks the door behind me, starts pulling diamonds out of the safe, teaches me how to grade diamonds, lets me handpick the stones that are going to go in Michelle's ring. And we did that for like three hours. It was just really super cool. And, uh, it was a diamond wholesaler. So I was able to get better diamond for my money and, you know, just, it was cool. And so I'm driving home. She doesn't know I've done that. I'm driving from Oklahoma city back to San Angelo and she and I are talking and I just said, "I, I need you to know something. I won't ever forget this conversation. I said, I need you to know two things. One, I will never make it my aim to love you. I said, my aim will always be to love Christ. And I said, but here's the promise. If I love Christ well, you will always feel loved. Always. 
And because part of me loving Christ is loving you, is caring for you. But if I make it my aim to love you, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm loving Jesus. I said, here's the second thing. I need you to promise me never to make it your aim to love me, but make it your aim to love Jesus. Now, listen, we tell each other I love you. We, we do. But it is with the understanding that at the core of it, at the heart of it, is the gospel of Jesus, the message of Christ, right? That what's really at stake here isn't that, oh, my husband told me I love, uh, that he loves me today, but what's really at stake here is that her husband proclaims to her the love Jesus has for her. Ryan's love for Michelle is pathetic compared to Jesus' love for Michelle. The highest love that Ryan could ever give Michelle, apart from Christ's love, is ridiculous. It's dumb. It's petty. And so the aim is to give her the love of Jesus. Uh, and so when, when that's your aim, what do, you have to be, what do you have to begrudge one another for? So there's a dish in the sink. So there's laundry on the floor. So the lawn didn't get mowed. So the bill was late. So you wrecked the car. Like none of that undoes Jesus. And if Jesus is the core, then none of it will undo your marriage. Listen to me. If it can't rock the cross, if it can't shake the foundation of the cross, it has no business shaking your marriage. The, the question, of course, then is that people ask is, well, what about adultery? The, the Bible, because it uses marriage as a picture of our relationship with God, the Bible uses our sin. Uh, it uses adultery as a picture of our sin against God. That, that, that adultery is compared to sin against God, or sin against God is compared to adultery, right? And here's the beauty of it. God welcomes us back every time. Now listen, it doesn't mean that you won't need help. It doesn't mean that you won't need some encouragement. It doesn't mean that you won't need somebody to hold your hand and walk you through that. It doesn't mean that it won't be difficult or heartbreaking. But what I've found is that most of the time, most of the time, if we're able, even in the midst of adultery, which I think probably most people feel is like the weightiest issue that impacts a marriage, even in those weightiest of issues, if we're able to shift and say, okay, look, because let's be honest, here's what adultery says. Why did the people, this is, meant to be, this is meant to be a rhetorical question, but let me give you the answer anyway. Why did the people of the Old Testament go and serve idols? Why did God call that idolatry? Why were they serving other idols? Because what the people were declaring is, God, you do not satisfy me. That's what they were declaring. So what adultery declares is Jesus isn't enough. That's what adultery declares. While it wounds your marriage, what it says to the world is Jesus isn't sufficient. And if we can reframe it and we can make it about Jesus, it doesn't mean your heart won't be broken. It doesn't mean there won't be a healing process. But what we can begin to do is we can begin to restore it because we can begin to make it about Jesus. I can't tell you how many people have been in my living room who have said, yeah, but I just don't think I can forgive. I just don't think I can forgive them. And I always remind them, do you believe that God has forgiven them? You know what every person, every single one, has said to me when I said that, do you believe God has forgiven them? You know what every single person has said? Yeah, I believe God has. And then I say, then you're misrepresenting God by not being able to forgive them yourself. At the end of the day, it can't be about our pride. It can't be about our ego. It can't be about us. It has to be about Jesus. If we really believe that Jesus is higher than we are, and by the way, that should be a gimme. That should be easy. If we really believe the story of Christ is higher than the story of our marriage, then we would long 
to bring our marriages in conformity to Jesus. I, I, I want desperately to talk to you more about this. I want to, to deal with this a little bit more, but we're not going to be able to do that on like a, you're going to have questions. You're going to go, yeah, but what if? Come Wednesday night to Bible study. It's at my house right there. Let's visit about it. Or if you don't want to do it there, call me and say, hey, we just want to come and meet with you. We'll come here. We'll have some coffee. We'll sit at the bar and we'll talk. But the story of Jesus is what's at stake. That's what's at stake here. By the way, it's not enough for your marriage to look good in public, but in private be hellacious. My family looked really good on Sunday mornings. My family at church, growing up, the family I grew up in, my family looked really good on Sunday mornings. My family was horrible the rest of the time, the other 167 hours a week. It was a lie, it was a facade. It won't take long for people to see through it. You're just an actor. You're just a liar. If it's not who you really are, now listen to me. If it's not who you really are, okay. But let's acknowledge that and let's begin to make strides toward ha towards having our marriages correctly tell the story of Jesus. Right? And if you're in it and you already have all the wounds and all the scars and you're like, yeah, but how do I forget this? We can talk about it. There's help. There's grace. Listen, the grace of God that saves us from damnation and brings us into righteousness and holiness is sufficient to heal your marriage. I promise. I promise. There's hope. There's joy. There's peace. There's, there's forgiveness. There's grace in abundance for your marriage so that it can correctly represent Jesus. But please, as believers, quit buying into the crap and the garbage and the lie that says it's just going to be pathetic. Marriage is just hard. Marriage is just miserable. Quit buying into that because God is bigger. And what's at stake here isn't what people think about your marriage, but what's at stake here is what people, sorry, what's at stake here is what your marriage is saying about Jesus. That's what's at stake. Think more highly of it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in prayer and we're going to, our prayer today is, God, let our marriages rightly tell the redemption story. And so whether you're married or not married or want to be married or you're dating to be married or whether, pray for your kids, but pray, spend some time and just would you pray and say, God, let our marriages rightly tell the redemption story. Just take a moment.
Lord God, we thank you that your grace is abundant and overflowing. We thank you that your forgiveness is limitless. We thank you that we stand before you uncondemned, not because of the works we've done, but because of our faith in you. God, we, we pray that our marriages would correctly tell the story of Jesus. We pray that our marriages would be marked with the kind of love you have for us. Things like bitterness and hostility and impatience and judgment and keeping records of wrong, that they would all melt away. Things like adultery and pornography would be overthrown because we no longer approach marriage, God, from our perspective and our pleasure, but we approach it, Lord, from your perspective, for your pleasure, for your glory. And the grace that you have poured out on us, let us pour out on one another. And the love that you have shown to us, let us show to one another. And the forgiveness that you have abundantly give, given us, let us give to one another. Not just so that our marriages would be good, but so that the world would know you. So that our marriages would rightly proclaim you. And where we have failed and where our marriages have been broken, God, heal it strengthen it and redeem it and save it and make it yours for your name for your glory for your honor forever and ever and ever amen look here would you please we're gonna sing go ahead and stand we're about to sing and I don't know if this is encouraging to you or discouraging to you if it broke your heart or healed your heart I don't know if it's given you hope or if it's made you feel a little bit broken. But we serve a good and faithful God who is bigger than whatever you're facing, who loves you more than you will ever, ever imagine or fathom, whose forgiveness is bigger than your sin, whose grace is more powerful than your brokenness. We're here for you, and if you want to talk to us or meet with us, do so, but God is bigger.